that she had become one of his most prized possessions. So why would he lend her to me? I asked, afraid to believe my luck. Kloster's name, plucked from on high and dropped so casually by Campari, had impressed me a little despite myself. We were in Campari's office, and a framed copy of the dust jacket of Kloster's first novel that hung on the wall, the editor's only concession to decoration, created a resonance that was hard to ignore. I'm sure he wouldn't want to, but Kloster's out of the country till the end of the month. He's at one of those writer's retreats where he shuts himself away to polish his novels before publication. He hasn't taken his wife with him, so by extension, he said with a wink, I shouldn't think his wife has let him take his secretary. There and then he called Kloster's home, offered effusive greetings to someone who was evidently the wife, listened with resignation to what must have been a list of complaints, waited patiently for her to find the name in the address book, and at last jotted down a number on a slip of paper. "'The girl's called Luciana,' he said. "'But be careful. You know Kloster's the jewel in our crown. You've got to return her intact at the end of the month.' The conversation, though brief, had provided a glimpse into the very private, reclusive existence of the only truly quiet writer in a country whose authors liked above all to talk. As I'd listened to Campari, I'd grown more and more surprised and couldn't help voicing my thoughts. Kloster? The terrible Kloster had a wife? He even had something as unthinkable, as positively bourgeois, as a secretary? And a little girl he adores, added Campari. He was almost forty when she was born. I bumped into him a couple of times when he's been taking her to the park. Yes, he's a loving family man. Who'd have thought it? At any rate, although sales of Kloster's books hadn't yet exploded, as they later would, he had for some time, particularly since the publication of his tetralogy, been the writer we all wanted to destroy— since his first book, he'd been too big, too good. Between novels, he withdrew into bewildering silence, which we found unsettling, threatening. It was the silence of the cat, while the mice published their efforts. With each new groundbreaking work, we wondered not how he'd done it, but how he'd done it again. And to make matters worse, he wasn't even as old, as far removed from our generation as we'd have liked. We comforted ourselves with the thought that Kloster must be from another species, a malevolent freak, rejected by humanity, shut away, resentful and alone, as hideous in appearance as any of his characters. We imagined that before becoming a writer, he'd been a forensic pathologist, or museum embalmer, or hearse driver. After all, he had chosen as the epigraph for one of his books the contemptuous words of Kafka's hunger artist. I had to fast, because I couldn't find a food I enjoyed. If I had found that, I would have eaten to my heart's content. On the back cover of his first book it said politely that there was something unholy about his observations. But as soon as you started reading his work, it became clear that Kloster wasn't unholy, he was merciless. From the opening paragraphs his novels dazzled, like the headlights of a car on the road, and too late you realized that you'd become the terrified rabbit, frozen, 
heart beating, and all you could do was continue hypnotically to turn the pages. There was something almost physical and cruel in the way his stories pierced layers, stirring long-buried fears, as if Cloister had the sinister gift of boring into your brain while holding you down with the subtlest of pincers. Nor were they exactly, reassuringly, detective stories. How we would have liked to dismiss him as the author of mere detective stories. What there was in them was evil in its purest form. And if the word hadn't been so overused and devalued by TV soaps, it might have provided the best definition of his novels. They were evil. Proof of how he loomed over us like a colossus was the way we spoke of him in hushed tones, as if nobody outside would find out about him.